It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. As we broadcast around the world, get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts, and the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at CBOC.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? Hello, this is Dr. Jeremy Lookaball, workplace communication and negotiation coach, as well as industrial organizational psychology consultant. In addition to cboc.com that you just heard, you can also visit my website at termboot.com. Also on the panel today, we have Sarah Smith-Berry of Frigo Consulting. Sarah is a psychometrician, veteran advocate, consultant, and modern stoic. Also, we have Tom Bradshaw, voice and speech coach, and a damn good actor at that. He is the leading voice and speech coach for the industrial organizational psychology community. Over to you, Tom. Thanks, Jeremy. Welcome to Work Cookie, everybody. We're here with our resident psychometrician, Sarah Smithberry, and of course, Dr. Jeremy Lukaba. Jeremy, where are we going today with this podcast and our discussion? Surveillance. Oh my God, it's actually happening. Surveillance is happening. <laughs> I can't I- believe the horror stories that we're hearing out there. Uh, people are you know, being spied on by their employers. And Orwell, 1984. Yeah, no kidding, eh? And it's like, I I, I think I'm hearing things like people are attaching their mouse to a fan, to an oscillating fan. So it looks like their mouse is moving. People are afraid to get up and go to the bathroom. They're having their keyboards, you know, uh, monitored to make sure that they're producing so many clicks per second or what website are you, you know, viewing. So I, I can't imagine being an employee where you're being snooped on more now than when you were in the office. So, I mean, let me ask you two, what is this doing to the workforce? And, and there, I mean, <laughs> if you hated your job before, guess what? It's time. I mean, maybe this is why we're seeing the great resignation. But what exactly is going on, and and why would employers want to be doing this? Sarah, I'm going to let you start with that one. But I'm going to say, hey, we just had a topic for today, Tom. I didn't know that was going on with the, <laughs> with the os- oscillating fan in your mouth. Goodness, oh, Sarah, what are your yeah, thoughts? Yeah, it's it's absolutely terrible. So. I'm kind of well known as the person that you come to when you don't know what you want to be when you grow up. And that's kind of a running joke in my circles, but (laughs) it's, it, it does lend itself to kind of thinking about, Hey, you know, how much information does my employer have about me? And, and are they using that information in my best interest? Right. Because as an employee, yeah, and see Tom, I see Tom shake his head. We're on video. I can see Tom and he's shaking his head at me. And they're, so they're not- that's the assumption, right? Now, organizations will frequently, and they've done this since the 80s, right? So they they take this um, almost parental um, type of role in an employee's life, right? And we've all had parents, right? Because we were all kids at one point, and some of us are parents. And we understand that when you stand on the necks of your children, it doesn't end well, 
Okay. It really doesn't end well. So I really think that organizations should take a, you know, a page out of that playbook, the good parenting playbook. If that's the role they're going to insist on playing, then let's look at some healthy ways in which we can use the information we're gaining about our employees. So rather than them resorting to things like attaching a mouse to a phantom, (laughs) maybe they start participating in more, uh, positive behavioral adjustments instead. Jeremy, what are, you, what are your thoughts on this? Oh, I have none, except <laughs> for the ones that I'm going to share right now, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, the care, I mean, how often does the, the carrot and the stick approach? And, uh, you know, I say it over and over, be, you get more out of employees, much more discretionary effort. And what's discretionary effort? It's the extra effort that you have to spend. What's your discretionary money for those of you who budget? After you budget, if you have money left over because you didn't spend all the money in your budget that you might have, it's discretionary money. It's extra money. You can choose to do whatever you want with that money. The same thing with your discretionary effort in the workforce. Once you have extra time, it could be time once you get home or if you're already home, of course, once you turn that computer off and you decide to, I don't know, have some thinking time, it could be maybe time over a break. Or it could be working on something that's more impactful than what you want to be working on. Discretionary effort comes in a lot of different forms. Bottom line is so many studies, there's so much data on this. You get much more out of employees by focusing on their their work passions, what their talents are, what their abilities are, by giving them challenging work that they like. Again, give them challenging work that they like, give them a sense of meeting, in their work, appreciate them the way they want to be appreciated. Now, some of this may sound the opposite of the carrot and the stick approach. Some of this may sound the opposite of do this, have this many clicks on your keyboard and don't go up to the bathroom more than six minutes at a time. It might sound a little different because it's different. It's the complete opposite. And organizations are, don't do it. They're shooting themselves in the foot. It's laziness, Jeremy. It's laziness. I, I hate to say it like that, but rather than trying to police Ooh. employees using systems, why don't we focus more on the actual individual development of our employee and actually understand what it is that they, like you said, like, um, you know, that's a huge part of my work and what I do with leaders empowering them to understand the people on their teams a bit more and actually leverage their skills and abilities independent of what role they may be filling, right? You don't want to pigeonhole an employee into a set of responsibilities so that they cannot stretch, they cannot grow, they cannot attain, you know, deliverables on time because, well, maybe we just don't have the right people doing the right things, and I think leaders need, to, I, I think you're ex- actually right, Sarah. And I think what leaders need to hear is it's productive and profitable if you do it that way. Mm-hmm. It can be less. A lot of heartache, so. too, Tom. A lot of heartache. And, yeah. you know, the relationships that you get from doing that little bit of extra work. I mean, people are saying it's the great resignation. They can't retain anyone. You think that might have anything to do with the fact that your employees don't know you and you don't know them? Well, that, that kind of leads me to my next question because, you know, I, I hear what both Jeremy and you are saying, and, and I think you're absolutely right. But I see leaders, and there's, you know, there's a big step they need to take. 
and I think we saw a lot of this when, you know, the pandemic hit and we all got locked down. We were all working remotely. The first thing in management's mindset is, I can't trust these people. Mm-hmm. So how do we move that leadership to understanding the trust is something that they, you know, have to accept and implement and use it as a tool for progressive change? Well, I'm going to go back to what Sarah, what Sarah said. Don't you, you can't be lazy. So essentially, if organizations are being lazy because they're not putting in a specific system or process, or because their managers are being lazy because they don't want to take the time to do X, Y, Z. So basically what's being said is organizations are being lazy, but they expect their workers not to be lazy. So they're monitoring them. Right. And the trust goes both ways, right? How often have we heard that ad old, you know, phrase of trust is earned. It's not freely given, it's earned. But for some reason, once we are injected into the corporate machine, We have this idea that once we attain a certain level of leadership, that means people have to trust us and nothing could be farther from the truth. So depending on, and I'm, I'm, so without mixing, without mixing your message, so Mm -hmm. Sarah, it sounds like what you're saying is in some relationship, one person has to be the first to trust. So it sounds like you're saying that leadership has to be the first to trust in the situation. Absolutely. Because we set the example as leaders. As leaders, we're always the first to do an action, and we're always the least to benefit from the reward. At least that's, in my mind, one of the best ways to determine whether or not someone is, in fact, a leader. Do they wait to get reward and give reward to the people who support them? Yes. Okay, then that's a leader. Do they act first and model the behavior before they ask anyone else to get on that train with them? Yes, then that person is in fact a leader. You know, there's a lot of this leadership and servant leadership, and there's so many terms and, you know, I guess catchphrases and, and it, it just keeps developing. There's a new one every year. But when it comes down to it, the people that we think of as leaders set the example and they don't look for the reward, they give the reward. So, let me ask you guys this, because at Virtual Communication Mastery, we just had a, an incredibly insightful uh, interview with Robert McGarvey from Rethinking Capital, and he's trying to change the accounting system, and it's going to require a paradigm shift, but you know, I think when it comes to trust, for, for a lot of leaders, that is a paradigm shift when it comes to their employees. Mm-hmm. But even larger than that, do leaders have to shift their thinking from employees as part of the expense tab to moving them over to the asset tab? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, the number one greatest asset to an organization is its people. If that statement does not ring true for the leadership of an organization, I don't care how what capabilities they have, what technology they're developing, what new market they're entering. I don't care. They're not sustainable, period. And Jeremy, you were part of that conversation with Robert McGarvey. um, And we talked a bit about trust. What sort of aspects from our discussion could you bring here that reinforces this notion? I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to disagree here. Oh no. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I'm going to partially disagree. 
I'm going to say it depends. It first off, it depends on the hiring process. Let's face it: if you're hiring the, the if you're hiring employees who are a poor culture fit, low motivated, and low skilled, they they they're going to cost your organization more money than they're going to. Pre- so it, it first off, it all starts with your with your hiring process. So we have to look at this look at these this little matrix here in terms of who are we talking about, and this is important. There's four different boxes. Um, is the person, is the employee highly motivated and highly skilled for one? Now think about it. Think about this, like, think about it in this case. If you, let's say that you are, your company is developing the absolutely best child car safety car seat, uh, on the planet, the safest car seat, and you have employed, um, you know, a group of scientists and, and engineers, and all of those scientists and engineers have had a child that was injured or died in a car accident because of a faulty car seat. Guess what? Those are highly motivated and highly skilled. They're really good at what they do. And they're highly motivated. They have a personal vested interest in, in creating the safest car seat. Think about it like that. So we have highly motivated, highly skilled. You can also have a worker who's highly motivated, but they're low skilled. So they're going to need something there. You can also have low motivated, but highly skilled. So we can see what we need to pay attention to there. And then we have your low motivated and low skilled. And when we take on that, you have to talk about there though, too, Jeremy, is that that correlates with the amount of time someone's been in an organization. So usually it's the low skilled, highly motivated. That's typically your lower level employee. That's just joining an organization and your highly skilled, low enthusiasm is people, your veteran employee. So there is a direct correlation between the amount of time that someone's been within that same organization to their skill level and level of enthusiasm. I'll take your second one about the enthusiasm going down. However, you're saying that you can't have highly skilled people in an organization because they haven't been in an organization that long? No, what I'm saying is that's typically the majority of the employees that fit in that category are new hires um, and usually lower level employees. So if we're looking at the organization as a whole and each um, employee falls into one of those four categories, the people most likely occupying that one category of low skill, high enthusiasm tend to be your entry level roles. And so at that point in the organization, it's really important that they have strong onboarding and training, which is what we teach as IOs for that, that specific schematic you're referencing. I love this. For those of you, for <laughs> those of you who aren't watching the video, it's fun watching Tom during the <laughs> during this back and forth. My first thing, <laughs> stretching out, and he's got his hand behind. And then he's then he leans up and he's got his his finger on his face like that, uh, the thinker statue. It's, <laughs> it's great. If you're not watching, you got to make sure you watch <laughs> the video part of it. Yeah. And so with, with what Sarah and I are both saying, when you add a kicker of this, of uh, a good or, or good or a bad cultural fit. Yeah. So and back to what Tom, what Tom was saying about this, um, about the discussion that we had with VCM, we're looking at, do we start to consider employees more of, 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 of they're on the asset sheet rather than the liability sheet? And I, you know, I'll, I'll say yes. In general, I agree because I'm a big fan. Yes, 80% of training dollars and time spent training goes to absolute waste. Trainings, when's the last time anyone went to a training 
or an, or um, any kind of uh, a professional development in-person conference? What was your real takeaway? Do you remember? Do you even remember who you saw? A lot of times training is, oh, that's over, or that was good, or that was bad, kind of like a movie, but there's really no takeaway. But it doesn't take, it doesn't cost an arm and a leg to make those trainings more effective. So yes, if you have anywhere on the lower skilled or lower motivation, it really doesn't take, you don't have to make these buku investments. You don't have to increase somebody's salary by a crazy amount or even at all, really. There's a lot of other things. 80%, 80%, the study just came out yesterday, I saw 80% of people would rather have non-tangible other things than an increase in salary. They would rather have flexible work schedule. They would rather have more appreciation in the workplace. They would rather have the ability to work remotely. They would rather have more vacation time. 80% of people, it was a study of over 700 people, said that they would take that over an increase in salary. And a lot of these things don't take more money. If, you're, if, you're, if your company has a vacation policy, you use it or lose it by the end of the year, every year, $3 billion, $3 billion in vacation time is not taken. So if you want to give people more vacation as a business decision, you can probably bank on, especially if you're doing use it or lose it, and you're not going to necessarily pay it out unless that employee quits during that calendar, during that fiscal year, you can give employees more vacation. They're going to enjoy it, but they might not take it. And even if they do, they'll still be better off, but it takes a little bit of, I'm not going to call it radical thinking. I'm just going to call it changing in perspective from organizations to say, look at what our problems are. What are some things that we can do to solve these challenges, solve these problems that just make sense? But my goodness, we haven't thought of them because nobody tested our perspective in the last how many years? Well, and to bring that full circle to our point earlier of surveillance, Jeremy, it's are we actually supporting our employees or are we supporting our profits? And one does come at the expense of the other in one direction. But in the other, funnily enough, they can actually go up in tandem. So, you know, it really is about that shift in perspective. It is a matter of you can have your cake and eat it too. It's just a matter of setting that correct foundation, like you said, Jeremy, having that shift in perspective and making sure that we are treating employees like human damn beings. And there I said it because... That is what employees are. That is what they should be treated as. And, you know, they shouldn't be tying their mouse to a fan. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me ask you this then, because, you know, we've saw, we, in a lot of industries, we've seen productivity actually lessen in, in some fields. In other ones, it's actually, you know, the remote work model has actually benefited some organizations. They've actually seen more productivity. So to me, it comes down to, you know, if you don't trust them, if you're using surveillance technology, and if they're not productive, maybe you haven't given them the right tools. Maybe you haven't given them the right training. This is a shift. You know, if you're going from working in the office where everybody else is around you to now working remotely, don't you need the tools to make that successful, to make it profitable and productive for the company as well as yourself? I'm going to say no. And here, here's why I'm going to say no, Tom. Darn you, Jeremy. <laughs> it, 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 it does, I'll say it takes one tool or two tools, but just learn those one or two tools really well and actually use them. So yes, does it take, you know, any 
tool is going to come out naturally out of necessity, but it's most important to use one tool out of necessity really well with your workforce, have them have it become habit, train everyone in it, make it so that it's not scary. And then you can start to go with the tools that are for more efficiency, might be a little more collaborative, might be a little more fun. But until that learning curve is gone for that first necessary tool, then it's not going to do any good to keep trying to add more to it. Well, and Jeremy, I, this might be a conversation for another day because I'm about to open a whole nother can of worms for everyone. But it's this concept of the workforce is shifting towards more individual contributors and less of this typical nine to five you work for an organization. It's more it's going to end up being, you know, contracted out work rather than being, you know, I'm a nine to fiver and I do whatever the company tells me to do. Most organizational models, especially because of the remote work challenges are shifting away from that. And they're actually entertaining the idea of paper project. And, you know, if you don't understand paper project or pay for engagement or anything like that, um, you might want to start doing your research a little bit because the individual contributor economy is coming and you definitely want to be on that train as a professional. We love the new the topics that come out organically from these discussions. So we're going to end our, our session for today, our podcast for today, our episode for today. And we'll add that, you know, the workforce shifting from individual to uh, individual contributors instead of that nine to five to more of that workforce economy. And as Trip calls it an ensemble economy, Trip Braden calls it an ensemble economy, yet in a different form. That's it. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. Don't forget to sign up at seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? Don't forget to check out our corporate, career boost, recruiter, and even student memberships at seabock.com.